Listener-supported KFUO invites you to listen live to our annual share It's your opportunity to show your support to KFUO. If you can't join us live, please prayerfully consider supporting us by calling 314-996-1518 and asking about our giving levels. You can also click the Give Now button on our webpage. Share 2017, April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're both in the studio today. We are. Usually it's uh, <laughs> one of us handing off to the other uh, when we finally both get to be in the studio on the same day. I know. And we have a, uh, a fun topic today. An important topic. Yeah. Too. Uh, it's a it's a movie. It's science. It's vocation. It's like all of these things that, that we cover on Faith and Family. It'll be pretty exciting. It is. It is. Well, so thankful to have this opportunity today. If you haven't guessed what our topic is today, a uh, recent film, it's still, I think it's still in theaters. It is still in some theaters, some yes, theaters. but it's also available online now. So it's kind of in that weird spot uh, of, you can kind of get it everywhere. <laughs> hidden Figures. Excellent film. Great story. Yes. Can't wait to talk about it with our with our experts today as well. Mm-hmm. Those who have uh, who've lived in and, and served in similar careers, similar vocations. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting KFUO and uh, very grateful for their support and the fine work that they do with in in higher education, had a chance to uh, to say hi and thanks to uh, to Dr. Ferry recently. So thanks to Concordia University of Wisconsin for their great work and supporting us here at Worldwide KFUO. We have some wonderful guests lined up for today uh, to take a look at this film. Joining us by phone this morning, Dr. Jillian Bond, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. Dr. Bond, welcome to Faith and Family. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and thank you. Looking forward to learning about uh, your your many vocations. Now, director of deaconess program, but uh, looking forward to learning about uh, your your. This is, a, I understand, perhaps a second career for you. Looking forward to learning about uh, all of the the vocations the Lord has given you, and uh, and particularly your work in uh, sciences. So looking forward to that today. Also joining us today, Dr. Kathy Brandon, Professor Emeritus, Concordia University, Chicago, uh, Lutheran Teacher Education Coordinator, Interim Director of Synodical Placement, Teacher Colloquy. That's quite a long list. Dr. Brandon, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you with us. And uh, you have some Concordia University Chicago alumni in the studio today as well. Sarah and I both uh, are alumni of Concordia University Chicago. So, well, And not only that, but Kathy Brandon was my uh, science teacher in grade school. What? We go way back. Way back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, so everyone has seen the film, correct? Everyone has seen Hidden Figures. Is that correct, Kathy? Yeah. Yes. And and Jill, you've seen it as well? Yes, I have. What what prompted you, uh, Jill, to, to see the film? Was it because we, we, we asked your opinion about it uh, so we could talk about it on the air? <laughs> it's a, uh, the movie had been of interest to me prior to that because, because of my, my varied background with having spent the early years of my professional life in science and engineering. And then hearing the topic, since I heard the topic, I thought this is a film I have to see. 
Absolutely. Well, let's do that. Let's take a look at your background. Uh, Jill, what did you do prior to, uh, what were your careers prior to uh, serving as Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Seminary? Well, most immediately before coming here to serve at Concordia Seminary, I had served as a deaconess in Peoria, Illinois. And uh, prior to that, a year's internship with a congregation in Las Lunas, New Mexico. However, for many years before that, my uh, career had been in material science and engineering. And uh, I had been a faculty member uh, at New Mexico Tech, the old school of mines in, in the state of New Mexico, in a research department for many years. Before that, I'd been on a succession of research contracts at different uh, short-term research contracts at different institutions, first in Britain and then in the U.S. What what was intriguing about that that career path in material science? What was uh, intriguing about that that uh, drew you into that career? This is probably going to sound strange, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was uh, about nine or ten. No, probably about 10, I um, had taken a book out of the local library, somewhat at random, which was written by uh, Laura Fermi, the widow of Enrico Fermi of atom-splitting fame, about, I think it was called something like The Story of Atomic Energy. And there was it was a sort of a, a history of, of, of those developments, but with some science in it of a kind that I had not heard before at that age. And I was absolutely fascinated and became obsessed with this in my mind, need to know how everything could be made up of, albeit in different combinations, the same small particles and yet be as different as, say, steel or air, you know, the gases in the air or skin or hair or whatever. And that was really what prompted it in the beginning. <laughs> so you, uh, were you were you planning on learning how to split atoms? <laughs> uh that well, people were already doing that, but I did have um, an interest in, in that side of things, and I did actually. My research areas were very varied. I had um, during my career at New Mexico Tech, I had research programs both in biomimetic materials and processing, where we look at biological systems, take ideas as it were from biological systems, and apply them to solve non-biological engineering problems. Um, but then also, I, I was. Uh, doing work in, t- with, in terms of nuclear materials too, so the, the, particularly the structural sort of containment materials. I feel like I'm going to need a dictionary for the rest of today's program. <laughs> I do too, a little bit. <laughs> my, my, well, I, you know, while working in broadcasting, there are many technical aspects to it. My my background is certainly more so in the arts. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but but <laughs> absolutely. I, I, well, I kind of felt the same way through the film as well, but nonetheless fascinated. I think, uh, Kathy, tell me about uh, about your background and what uh, led you to consider your vocation. Well, um, I guess the fact that um, I hated science in school doesn't really bode well. But <laughs> That's okay. I grew up at a lake, and um, and spent all my time collecting things: bugs, critters, you name it. It came into the house. Um, fortunately, my parents were very tolerant of that, and I had three brothers. I had no sisters, and we had no neighbors, really, to speak of. We were kind of isolated. Um, there were adults in the area, but no kids. So I, I tend to be tended at that time to be a voracious reader, and um, I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, we we had a bookmobile that would come 
It was about a half mile from our house, and I would walk to pick up my books at the bookmobile once a week over the summer especially. And the the librarian in the bookmobile would would recommend books to me, and I was reading science stuff for years, long before I found science interesting in school. So when I became a teacher, my focus was to make science interesting for kids in school and not just out in the field. And... Um, and so I have, um, I have taught professionally in elementary schools and in middle grades mainly, and at the university level now uh, for the last 15 years. Um, but the last seven years has been a real focus in science education since I've been teaching both uh, elementary and early childhood science and developing a new middle grade science course. So... Um, and the focus, especially now in STEM, uh, we've tried to ramp up our courses for that purpose. But, you know, in school, I really wanted to be an astronaut. When I was in high school, I talked with my high school teachers, and they all said the same thing. Women can't be astronauts. And I said, why not? Well, and they got bluntly honest, the suits don't fit women. And I said, suits should be able to be designed to fit anybody. <laughs> So I turned my education then toward teaching as opposed to um, looking into being part of the space program like these women did. And I wish I had known that women were involved then, and I might have fought a little harder to go into the sciences so I could have been a part of it. Now, you mentioned... I believe you mentioned early on that the sciences didn't appeal to you. You didn't like science class in school. No, but that's because a teacher would hand you a textbook and give you the page numbers to read, and then you had some questions to fill out, and then you took a test. And I, <laughs> I never did science. I was doing science at home uh, all the time. Um, I, but at school... No, it was boring. It was boring. And I knew most everything that I read in school because I was in the field working with things. And a big focus in my elementary program was biology and, you know, plants and animals. Well, I lived a much better and more rich environment over the summer when I was doing reading on my own. So school was not exactly um, inspirational. I didn't have a true lab course until I got into high school. So having that opportunity for hands-on experience for a lab is really what made a difference for you. Yes, it did. Um, in high school, I actually got to explore the world of biology from a different viewpoint than I had had all the way up through school at that time. And um, getting to look inside of animals and, and watching how animals performed and how you could test things with animals, that, that to me was much more inspiring. I did not do well in chemistry in high school, uh, partly because I think we had a college professor teaching us at the time and just couldn't get down to our level. I mean, we did labs, but I didn't know what we were doing with them. <laughs> <laughs> so I avoided chemistry in college until almost my junior year. And then I found it absolutely fascinating. Physics the same. But up until then, um, the majority of my stuff had been in the work of biology. 
So your your education certainly shaped your perception of the sciences and whether or not you really liked them. That that all really was shaped by your experiences early on. So yes, it was. Let's go back to the uh, the comment that uh, the girls can't be astronauts. <laughs> you mentioned at that time that uh, you know that was well that they, they were that was they, they were being brutal in saying well the, the the suits don't fit right why what what was the the mentality that t- at that time regarding women serving in um or studying in and working in science related careers well certainly i experienced the idea that one women were not strong enough to be able to go into outer space they would never be able to withstand the g forces Women were too delicate. They had not seen me around my brothers, but um, that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that I, that I was told first women were not strong enough. And, of course, they couldn't design um, an astronaut suit so that women could evacuate the way men could. And uh, because you were in your suits the whole time when you when the first space exploration occurred. I followed the astronaut program, though, really closely. I have a scrapbook from my childhood of every newspaper clipping and everything I could find went into that scrapbook because I was so fascinated with it. And I was so excited when um, our first teacher went into space, um, saddened by what happened, but um, it it was nice finally to see a woman that was selected to be part of the space program um, and not weeded out. And I honestly, I have to say, my daughter is a civil engineer right now, and she completed her education probably maybe eight, ten years ago, something like that. And, you know, she, all through her coursework, she was told the same thing. Women just can't get this stuff, you know, um, out of the 25 women that started in her program at the university she attended, only five of them finished. Most of them got weeded out by the male instructors who said, well, you know, maybe you just, this isn't just your area, you need to get out. And so I think it's still a problem with the sciences uh, today. It's not as bad as those poor women experience, though. Mm. Uh, Jillian, in in your field, did uh, did anyone ever try to uh, discourage you or dissuade you from pursuing a career in the sciences? Well, first of all, I should just point out I grew up in a different country, so mm-hmm. my you know the, the background through my childhood and young adulthood were, were was somewhat different. But growing up in Britain at that time, there was still very a very common perception that women didn't have careers. And so, yes, there was definite discouragement from a variety of sources. Um, I remember we had uh, in secondary school, so from age 11 on, it was schooling was segregated in the sense of male-female segregation. And um, the uh, I remember the careers teacher uh, we had to meet with at, at the appropriate juncture, and I had already become interested in what uh, is more commonly known as materials engineering now, but was then the earlier programs were usually designated material science. 
and I, you had to fill in ahead of time on a form what you were interested in studying, and I put that down. And I still remember pretty much verbatim what she said to me, which was that this was what I wanted to do, was it? And I said, yes. And she said, well, then you're pretty much on your own because we really don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had two um, physics uh, teachers, one who was approaching retirement and sort of phasing out, and one young one who was phasing in. It was kind of a transition period. And the um, uh, younger one said to me uh, that she'd heard that this was what I was interested in, and she thought she'd better tell me. She wasn't sure, but she thought it was something like metallurgy, which it is. It just encompasses a broader range of materials than just metals. Uh, and that she had actually originally been interested in metallurgy, but people had advised her that she'd never be able to get a job in the field, so she'd studied physics instead so she could be a teacher because that was something women did. And uh, the other one advised me not to apply to Imperial College, which is where I went, because part of the University of London, because it was a predominantly male college and I'd never get in. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but there, was a there were a variety of other forms of discouragement that one encountered along the way. Uh, there were also many people who were, you know, in contrast to what the, the, the women that, were, that are portrayed in the movie um, experience, the, there were many people who were inclined to be trying to encourage more involvement of, of women, but also many who were still very much not in favor of the idea. And um, where I worked in New Mexico, I was fortunate to come in under a department head who was extremely supportive. But I think back over the years in different places where I worked before, before that, um, yes, you, I encountered a variety of, of, of preconceptions that people had about the suitability of women. The most common thing you would hear would be, you know, that, that sort of, that's just not what women do, or uh, that, well, you're going to get married and have children, so why should you be taking a position in this field instead of somebody who's going to stay in it? Why did you persist in your studies and, and pursue that career? <laughs> I was very blessed as a child. My parents, uh, if I, when I would, when they would be, teaching me, you know, what was okay to do, what wasn't, and so on. And I would say why. I wasn't trying to be bratty, but, you know, when they could tell I was just genuinely interested, they would always actually explain it. And I, that's, I think it's something I think is really important in parenting. That, because I said so, doesn't help to prepare people for later life and how to, you know, figure things out. Um, and if I could see a good reason for something, I was fine with it, and I would never challenge it. But if I couldn't, then... <laughs> And I basically couldn't see any good reason why I, as a woman, shouldn't be able to do this. And so I was just going to carry on because that was my personality type. <laughs> so you, you just, you, you had the personality that that uh, that said, stick with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I realized that it's, uh, that those, um, that the kind of attitudes one encountered were discouraging to to potentially to many people. I think that the situation has improved a lot compared to how it was then. Um, not to say that one doesn't still encounter some of those kind of attitudes, but it, much, much less than, for sure, than when I was earlier in my career. And um, one of the things I really liked about the movie was the way that those women responded to it. <laughs> Kathy, were there times that you were ever discouraged or dissuaded from studying the, the sciences? Well, once I had made the decision, because it was acceptable to be a teacher, um, because women either went into teaching or nursing when I was growing up, 
at this time period. And, um, and so once I made the decision to go into teaching, it was fine for me to have science as my major background. And so from then on, no, I didn't encounter too much. Um, I went to the Concordia's for my, um, my undergrad education. I was both at Ann Arbor and then at Seward. And the professors there were very welcoming of females, even though they were, to a man, all men. <laughs> um, but no, I didn't receive any, any from that time on. But then I had set aside actual science at that point. So, so you were focusing um, more on your, your education classes. Right. And, and what I wanted to, to help share my passion of science with, with the children that I encountered. And I agree, I was really astounded at the dignity and persistence of the women that we saw in this film. I think that's what it takes to be successful in what is considered male fields. Um, they didn't... They... They didn't, um, they weren't pushy about it. They were very dignified, but they were persistent. And they weren't, weren't going to give up just because some guy said, I don't think a woman should be here. And I, I found that absolutely astounding. The fact that they were African-American women was even more astounding. I mean, they had what I call a double stigma that way. And they, they handled themselves with such dignity that I, I was very impressed very impressed so simply saying that this is uh this is not a career for women this is a, a, a man's career was was not reason enough for them to to give up and it sounds like for 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 both of you as well that uh, that y- that you persisted that that alone is is not a reason just a, a a statement that's not rooted in anything other than opinion per se Right. Well, it's, you have to have a you have to have persistence any time mm-hmm. you're going to go into an area that people don't think you should be in, um, whether they think you're not smart enough, or because you're a woman, or because you're of a race that we don't expect to do things like that. Um, I think persistence is the key. Um, uh, today, I can think of a lot of people I work with who probably in the 60s, would not be where they are today if they hadn't been persistent. And that's just how I see um, the need. What did you... Let's take a look at the movie a little bit. Uh, let's let's start uh, <laughs> digging into the movie a little bit. What, um, Jill, before you saw the movie, what were you anticipating... Um, what were you hoping would happen in the movie? Did you know much about the story before you saw the movie? I didn't know much about the story before I saw the movie. And I was curious, uh, very, very interested to, to see what their ex- what these women's experience had been. Because, as, as we just heard for, from Kathy, uh, as the sort of the double whammy, if you like, that they were dealing with of, of being female and African-American at that time. And I have, growing up in Britain where things were uh, not perfect, but a little different. I mean, there wasn't segregation of, you know, colored versus white and so on. That side of things is something that I'm not very familiar with. And that was a distinct eye opener in the movie. Um, So, yes, I was interested in seeing how it played out in both of those aspects. 
Right at the beginning of the movie, um, and this is something that both of you touched on as well, um, that that reading and education was so important for both of you to get into the field. And right at the beginning of the movie, when when uh, when Catherine's parents are able to send her to to a, a good school and encourage her, um, what did what did, how what was your reaction to that? That was the first part of the, I mean, that was in like the first five minutes of the movie, and and right then that got me. That got me. I was almost tearing up right at the beginning. Um, but what what was that reaction to you? Did that connect to you as, as at all of of uh, the the importance of having a good education? Absolutely, yes. Well, obviously, I'm a teacher, <laughs> <laughs> but I have to tell you that growing up, I was not encouraged to go to college, not by my mom anyway. Um, she was. Her education went as far as the eighth grade, and she didn't see a need for me to go to college. And um, it was my dad that encouraged me there. So I could identify at least with her father, but my mother was completely anti-education for me. I should be a homemaker. That's what she thought all of her life. What, And what do you think... Why that worldview? Why that perspective? Why did your mom, your mother, possess that 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 perspective? Well, she put it in a nutshell to me once, and this was when we were on our way for me to go to college, and she was dropping me off with all my stuff, and her comment to me was, "You know, it, it was good enough for me to be a homemaker. Why isn't it good enough for you?" I can't explain it beyond that. I know that I am not isolated in that attitude because a number of my colleagues uh, heard that from their mother as well. So I think it had to do with the fact that during, especially during the 50s and 60s, um, women could get work, but they were encouraged to stay home with their families and rear their children. And uh, my mother's, I think, felt that that's what I should be doing. And the, the, there's certainly something to say about the vocation of, of wife and mother. It's a noble vocation. It's one that has significant influence uh, over, I, I think, over society in general. If we think about how mothers have such a significant influence over children, thus over society in general, it, it certainly is a noble vocation. Does it preclude one from other vocations as well, such as teacher ed- or educator? Absolutely not. <laughs> if I could chip in. Um, when I first obtained the faculty position that I had in New Mexico, my son was five months old when I started. And uh, <clears throat> yes, I got by with very little sleep in the early <laughs> But it was very worthwhile, and I think it was to the benefit of involved and that theme is in is runs very strongly in the movie as well with both mary who who uh has aspirations to be an engineer um and catherine who is who's a, a widow both of them have very different home situations mary's husband is not very supportive at the beginning and makes comments about you know if if you were home more often you would be able to tell your kids not to, or to eat their vegetables um and and catherine has to struggle with with being a single mom, essentially, and, and relying on other people to help with her children and, and getting home late at night. And, and that struggle is very, very real throughout the whole movie. 
were those uh, were those things that 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 challenges that that you faced as well as women in vocations or in you know science and and technology engineering math those STEM careers did you ever face those those questions or challenges? We'll start with uh, with Kathy. Well, I have to be honest. I um, when my first child was born, or um, I set aside teaching for a time. And I was thankful I did because, um, and Sarah might remember this, Mm -hmm. because I lost my son. He went home to the Lord um, at the age of 17, and I was starting at Sarah's school at that time. Yep. So I was glad I had taken some time off to be with my family, but I'll admit it set me behind in my career goals um, because... Um, it was a number of years later before I finally got my doctorate. And, um, in fact, it was so much later that I wondered why I was doing it, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but I, but I needed it to be able to, to work with young people here at the college level. So, um, but it did set me back in many ways. Um, I'll never be a full professor because. I just didn't have a long enough time frame between the time I finished my doctorate and the time I was ready to retire. So um, I won't say it having family was a negative part. I think for my children, um, especially when I was at uh, the school that Sarah was at, uh, my my kids were at school constantly, and one of the things we were doing was upgrading all the technology. And my son learned how to put together a computer in the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade um, because we were getting used equipment from all over the place and then taking out the good pieces here and there and putting them all back together. (laughs) And and through that process, my children got very involved in technology. Even my my daughter um, had more interest in it. And up until that time, she had no interest in technology at all. And now she went on to be an engineer. So I'm proud of that. We need to take a quick break. I'm so I'm so into the story here. I forgot about our break. We need to take a quick break. When we come back from that break, uh, we'll hear more from our friends, Dr. Jillian Bond, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Seminary, and Dr. Kathy Brandon of Concordia University, Chicago, and uh, also Sarah's former science teacher. Yeah. <laughs> we have more Faith and Family. We're looking at the film Hidden Figures. We'll dig more into the film in just a little bit here on Faith and Family. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. 
Stacy was only 17 when she found out she was pregnant. Even though she was 20 weeks along, she didn't think twice about having an abortion. Stacy thought she was too young to have a baby. However, during an appointment with her mother before the abortion, they did an ultrasound scan of the baby. Of course, they turned the monitor away from Stacy so she couldn't see the baby, but mom could. When Stacy saw the emotion and tears on her mom's face, at that moment she knew she couldn't have the abortion. Her son Zachary is now 10 years old. The abortion industry keeps information away from the moms so they won't change their minds. It's a cruel way to treat women who often end up mourning for the rest of their lives. Please pray for all the women who've had an abortion. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. So what are you doing the last week of July? How about spending it with a bunch of fellow Lutherans at the 2017 Institute for Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music on the lovely campus of Concordia University, Chicago. You'll be singing, praying, learning, loving, and growing together in the Lord. The Institute is for everyone who's passionate about worship. The theme this year is the Just Live by Faith. Make it plain in sermon, service, song. There'll be a hymn festival, concert by National Lutheran Choir, insightful keynotes by David Peterson, William Swirla, and Kevin Hildebrandt, tons of workshops covering the gamut of worship, and you get to hear Daniel Gard give us the goods on the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, you want to be there. July 25th through 28th. You'll be so glad you did. Register today at www.lcms.org backslash Worship Institute. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm so intrigued by our guest stories. I'm forgetting about the movie today. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I, I always love hearing from our guests and particularly today when we have such uh, such unique guests. And during the break, uh, Kathy, uh, Sarah was sharing how, how she was inspired um, as a student by you, that that's really what, what, pushed her on to to study the sciences as well some may not realize what what sarah studied before she came to uh before well while she was a student at concordia and then came to us as well you never would have imagined that you were working as you'd be working as a producer for kfuo i'm sure no no (laughs) not at all yeah so in uh well in grade school we had all these really fun science fairs and that got me all involved in in learning more about biology and and the world around me and my, I grew up in an engineering family with my brothers and my dad, so there was always talk of, of something analytical or how the world works. But then in high school, I was really big into biology, loved it. So in college, I went on to study um, exercise science, which involved human performance and, and uh, biomechanics and, and how the body works. So worked as a personal trainer, group exercise instructor. All of that, all that stuff before working in radio. <laughs> she tries to keep us, uh, tries to keep us in shape around here. <laughs> Doing burpees everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> before we went to uh, break, we were just starting to get into the story. Let's let's dig into the story a little bit more uh, in hidden figures. For those who have not seen the film, first of all, why haven't you? Uh, <laughs> The just a, 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 I guess perhaps if you haven't had time to get out to a movie theater, but as you as Sarah mentioned earlier, it's available on digital now, uh, streaming, so you can you can watch it online. Uh, it's just a, an intriguing story. 
of uh, uh, of what three women, mm-hmm. three African American women, who were mathematicians. I love in the film that the the department in which they they work, the the sign of the door says computers. Yeah, they're called they're called computers. Like that is their job, and that that took me a minute to to think about because I'm like, oh, a computer is a thing that I use, but <laughs> but in those days, a computer was a person who is computing. Someone who is yeah computing who right. who's who's doing the math right now we rely on machines isn't it amazing how language changes how like the our, our understanding of of a concept of a computer changes over time right just because of how we've we've given this responsibility now to machines yes walk what did you think um uh, Jill what did you think when you first saw that scene uh when they, they, they pan across the room all the the uh, the women in the room who were the computers who were who were doing the math i think one of the things that flashed into my mind first was the number of times that i heard when i was on recruiting trips during my years of, of working in new mexico uh in amongst high school kids and so on girls saying oh well they weren't good at math um you know it was it seemed to be a a, a cultural perception amongst the both adult and young women, that math was something that was more difficult for women. And I thought, boy, you see such a different picture. <laughs> that totally took me by surprise that here are the people who are actually doing the computing, and they're women. <laughs> and nobody seemed surprised at that. Um, you know, that was what something that they were, they were plugged into. Uh, one of the recurrent challenges that we encountered in terms of trying to recruit more female students was this perception that, and, and I don't know where it was coming from, say, you know, I, I went through my early education in a different country, but that I encountered, at least in the southwest of this country, amongst people, particularly amongst women and girls, that somehow math was difficult and they couldn't do it. Um, and there's no reason why they can't do it. <laughs> Kathy, what did you think when you saw that scene, the the... The, the the first scene of the the room of computers. Well, my first thought was, um, the term computer seemed demeaning <laughs> because I think of a computer today, and they were making humans into basically a machine. Of course, at that time, that was simply a title for a person who computed. Um, but that was my first reaction; was almost like a demeaning. But what struck out more to me was the fact that here was this whole room full of African-American women who were doing mathematics, and really the only white woman or two that we saw in there, they were basically personal assistants. And I found that an interesting contrast, that we didn't see any uh, females from the white population working as mathematicians, but rather just the African-Americans. I don't know if if um, there was a cultural difference here um, at that time. I, I was very puzzled by what I saw there um, and, and not surprised, actually, having heard what I had heard in high school. But, um, yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I was, I was amazed at that contrast that I saw in the film. I don't know if that was intentional on the part of the producers of the film or not. I don't know. But 
what were the what were some of the the highlights of the film or the the themes that that um, that stood out for you that you know as you're watching the film first of all I, I think it was because it was such a a uh, such a, a strong story it was I mean somewhat emotional too that uh, it, it 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 gets. I don't know. It's it, it not only inspiring, but also some of the stories, the, the, the stories of life at home were also very touching as well. Um, so I, I gather it was perhaps emotional for most people who saw it. But what were the themes that, that stood out for you as you watched this film? Kathy? Um, the consistent um, attitude by the males that women shouldn't be doing this work. And, and that even that quote, new boyfriend that Catherine bumped into, well, or was forced into, <laughs> shall we say, um, even, even that relationship, his, his, and I mean, he was highly educated. He should have understood that she also was highly educated and he shouldn't have even questioned why she would want to do what she was doing. And yet he did. Um, and, and again, for the other woman with her husband, he wasn't terribly supportive at first either. Um, so I, I think we see a consistent attitude among the males, with maybe the exception of the head of that department that Catherine finally got involved in, because he recognized her strengths probably even before she did um, and found it interesting. He was the one that finally had to step up and say, you know what? We're all people here, people nothing more and and setting setting aside the need for her to have to run a mile in order to use the restroom mm-hmm. I, that was to me a, an absolutely astounding moment when i recognized that um he had stepped up and recognized her potential and didn't want it um to be lessened by the attitudes of people around them and when she had started everybody around her told her that he was the person that would not respect her. That would be the problem, Mm -hmm. yes. That that he wouldn't respect her. Yeah, yeah, that that he wouldn't even talk to her, really, and and to not talk to him unless she was spoken to, and yet yet he was almost her her biggest proponent and biggest fan. Jill, how about you, as you watched the film, what were the themes that that stood out for you? Oh, it, it was indeed, as, as, as was mentioned earlier, you know, a, a, an emotional movie to, to, to watch, the, both the personal as well as the uh, work environment aspects of it. Um, one of the things that really struck me was the, the way, and Kathy already alluded to this somewhat earlier, uh, the way that the women handled the situation. I think the word you used was, was dignified. Um, the uh, how much was achieved through that uh, persistent but uh, gentle, one might say, approach that they adopted uh, to their situation. They weren't going to just give up on, on what they were uh, doing and, and striving to be allowed to do or to be recognized for. But at the same time, they were not going to be comfort. They were not. They were distinctly not confrontational, not um, bitter or, to use a common term these days, you know, kind of victim mentality about the situation. Um, 
I was I found that the, the their response was very inspiring, and also uh, although what I had to uh, both see and address during my career was nothing in comparison to, to what they had to address. Uh, nonetheless, it it there were strong echoes with my own experience when you see. Um, we just kind of step back, if I may, and say that I think in terms of dealing with the, the, the pre- preconceptions that people have about any particular topic, and in that particular topic amongst men and to some extent women as well. I mean, we, the, the women that were featured strongly in the movie were the women who were actually behind the change, in a sense, the driving force behind changes that occurred. But as we heard earlier... You know, there's a number of times that women have mothers who, you know, had mothers who would basically not expect them to go into professional activity. I had the same experience with that. Um, the preconceptions that people have, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, are not um, coming out of ill intent, but just people are sort of culturally conditioned that way and don't really think about it. And the best way of making progress with people is at a very pragmatic level, <laughs> engineers are pragmatists, what can I say, <laughs> is not to start off by being un- unnecessarily confrontational. Um, the, 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 her, her, uh, Catherine's manager you know, comes to see the ability that she has and ultimately to be her, uh, a proponent for her. Uh, also, when you do have people who are just, there are some people, men, women, you know, in, in, in any field of life that just, like to be obnoxious not a lot but some (laughs) and when you're dealing with people like that actually flaring up in response only feeds that kind of personality type anyway (laughs) so it's not productive either i was very impressed with their their responses all through the movie when i liked particularly the um the gal who brought the rest of the computers into the digital use of that new computing system from ibm um, she recognized the danger of the employment of her people in in her department, and she went out of her way, even stole a book, um, <laughs> in order to help the rest of her group move forward into a new paradigm. And there are not many people that can do that. I mean, that's a brilliant mind at work. Um, I kept thinking about how we've seen all these beautiful mind stories about scientists and things who have cracked up and gone crazy. This this woman just had it together. She could see what was coming, and she went out and decided she was going to be part of the future and not scream about the past. I, that's very forward thinking. And I was absolutely impressed with that woman. And at the end of the film, they said they thought she was probably the most brilliant mind at NASA of anyone on the whole place. That's amazing. But it showed in what she did as opposed to, I mean, they could have, you know, held protests or done a lot of things that were happening in the world at that time. They changed the world far more phenomenally than many people have done um, in years, I mean, and they did it so quietly that we didn't even know it was happening. I think the title was very, very appropriate. 
their their actions, as you mentioned earlier, in response to whatever came their way was, to use your word, dignified. They never were their, their actions or words inflammatory toward anyone else. Even if one, even, to, you know, to look at the, the circumstances, you'd think they would be justified in, in being angry. But they took those as opportunities to, to build and, and built on those. Now, it's not only a very serious movie, but there were some moments that were somewhat uh, comedic as well. Were there some funny moments from the film that that uh, that were memorable for you, Kathy? Well, um, yeah, I think I'm not sure that it's a funny moment necessarily, but when um, she accepted the proposal from. Uh, her gentleman friend, Catherine, I'm referring to here. I could easily connect with her and having the same name. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I thought that uh, that was a lighthearted moment of the film, even though, I mean, she was weeping through the whole thing. And, and her response of her daughters was phenomenal. I, um, we got to see the human being uh, behind the scientist, if you will, or the mathematician. Um, and I, and I enjoyed particularly that moment, but there was one that was more poignant and that was when, um, let's see what, I forgot the name of the gal who was the, that worked with the IBM stuff. Dorothy. Yeah. And she was, she was talking with that, uh, white manager who, and, and trying to convince her that she needed to be, um, an overseer of the rest of the group and have the pay along with the responsibility she was seem, seemingly stuck with. And the gal said, you know, I don't really have anything against you. And she quietly remarked back, I know you don't. I know you don't. And, and her response was, you don't look at what you say or what you do to people like me. And I, I was so struck at the dignity of that. I, I didn't find too many lighthearted moments. This was a very serious film, <laughs> but um, a phenomenal film. It's, I think it's one all women need to see, and I think all men should see it as well, because it says a lot about uh, the dignity and the need for persistence of people. I don't really answer your question there. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jill, any, any lighthearted moments from the film? <laughs> There were, excuse me. There, it, yes, it did, it did have a few. One that struck me in in, a, in one sense as, as kind of lighthearted was early on when they were carpooling. The interaction with the police officer when they had broken down. <laughs> and mm -hmm. That then when they when he finally got the the point that they actually where they were working and he gave them the police escort into work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the opening of the film, if I remember correctly, yeah. isn't it? Close, yeah. The, the yeah. car is broken down and yeah. Mm -hmm. his, his, you know, his, from his initially rather hostile um, approach to then giving the police escort into work. Mm -hmm. But it was, I, I think, in a sense, while it was, it was humorous, it was also, a, I'm sure, a bit of reality for some as well. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of, I, I can't speak again, as I say, having grown up in a different country to the in terms of racial segregation matters to the history in this country and, and how that played out culturally. But certainly from my experience in terms of male-female issues in science and engineering, 
Um, you know, yeah, a, a lot of people just this is the way think. This is how they've heard things are. That they don't really think about it. And then when they the, the people learn, most people learn best by example. And when they see how things don't have to be the way that they are, they they can be swayed. I think for me, one of the things that one of the moments that was rather lighthearted, and and Kathy, you would I think pointed this out was that uh, when Dorothy uh, was ready to adapt to whatever the new technology is going to be ready for that, for the new um, machine, this new computing machine that that's going to, in a sense, uh, replace, make the, the human computers obsolete. And so she's ready to adapt and, and welcome this technology by learning about it and learning how to program. Yet, ironically, the others the the others uh, particularly there I, I don't know what their position were but when they went to bring in the machine the machine wouldn't fit through the door so not everybody was ready to adapt to this technology and they had to bust out uh, you know half the wall in order to fit the machines into the building it just goes to show how how ready uh, the Dorothy's character was ready to to adapt to this technology but uh, not everybody was ready for it they had to pull out the big hammers right <laughs> The, well, the I one... think Dorothy also, um, at that one point where she walked in and was basically problem-solving the issues with the machine and actually gets it running, and the other guys are wondering, what the heck are you doing here even? And um, I thought that was a funny point in the movie, too. I love her Atta Girls. <laughs> We yeah. have we have only uh, just about a half a minute left, and I, I want to say thank you to both of you for sharing your stories with us today, and uh, and for talking about. Uh, we've only gotten into a little bit of this movie. We could probably talk about it for quite a while. Dr. Jillian Bond, Deaconess Dr. Jilly Bond, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Thank you so much, Jill, for being our guest today. Thank you. Dr. Kathy Brandon, Professor Emeritus from Concordia University, Chicago, and uh, Sarah's science teacher as well. Thanks so much, Kathy, for being our guest today. Great. It was great fun. Thank you. Well, that does it for us. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Up next, live Lenten service from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri. You're listening to The Messenger of Good News. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.